Hey, thanks for joining us. I'm Adam Stone, and this is the Committed Collective Podcast. With my co-host, Steve Kerwin and Byron Hazley, we speak to an array of great guests to discuss ways to unify, educate, and empower ourselves against racism and social economic inequality. Steve, where can our listeners find us on social media? Yeah, first off, you can find us on our website at thecommittedcollective.org. Don't forget to sign up for our monthly newsletter. Next, you can find us at The Committed Collective on Instagram and Facebook. And my personal favorite, The Committed Collective Forum on Facebook, where we have open dialogue topics about conversations that we need to have that we might not necessarily want to. As always, remember to challenge inequalities and champion change now. Hey, what is up, everybody? This is the Committed Collective Podcast. We're back again. Adam Stone with Byron Hazley, Steve Kerwin. Steve, how are we doing tonight? Adam, October's over. November's here. And I'm not shying away. I made it a point to say it. We're done. We're we're canceling pumpkin pie at Thanksgiving. I don't want to hear it anymore. Don't invite your family members. Kick them out of your family. Far as concerned, trade him to another family. Get him out of here. Pumpkin pie, no longer welcome at Thanksgiving. Are you with me or are you against me? Byron, talk to me. I'm with you all day, Steve. You know something else I'm with you as well, or I hope you're with me in regards to the situation in which people are bringing sick kids to daycare. I've been battling a cold for two weeks now. Because my two-year-old son came home with the sniffles, ran through my entire house, and I can only breathe out of one nostril. So with that said, no pumpkin pie, no sick kids in daycare. Get them both out of here. Get them both out of (laughs) here. Adam, what's your thoughts? I'm on board with both of those. I'm a sweet potato guy myself, and sick kids really are my my forte, but I'm getting more experience now with Isaiah and you know, that's that's a new batch of fun. But we have a, a return guest, another return guest this season, and we're happy to have her back. Attorney Stephanie Krause, a Michigan native like the rest of us. So it's always good to have Michigan in the house. So, Stephanie, what's going on? How are you? Hi, welcome. And first of all, I didn't know we were all Michigan. I knew it was a strong Midwest contingent, but I love that. Yeah, and I'm happy to be back. Thanks for having me back, guys. So what's going on? Last time you were here, we were actually it was Women's Month. So we weren't even talking to you the first time. So this True. is actually the first time with us on the, the podcast together. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm I'm excited to be here. I know, Adam, you and I have spoken before, um, kind of both lawyers out here. You're in San Diego. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Byron and I go way back, but... Yeah, just I feel like since we spoke, I um, I was at a studio previously for several years um, as in-house counsel, and I've now moved over to a law firm. So, yeah. Back to the, the nitty gritty of the law firm life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's an adjustment for sure, um, but not quite big law. And it's all transactional entertainment, which is great as long as I have managed to continually avoid um, litigation. So we're continued on that path. There you go. Yeah, well, we got some of uh, Steve's headshots to send you after the show so we can get him going. There we go. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So we brought you on the show this week because we we've been talking all season, really, about workplace 
discrimination, the drama that's come out of those situations, the scandals and the backlash. And we wanted to bring you in. Like you said, you're an in-house counsel attorney with experience there. You have a lot of experience in the entertainment field and you've dealt with these situations firsthand. So, you know, we wanted to just have you come in and get a little bit more perspective from you and not only with the attorney hat on, but also from you as a person of, you know, Stephanie Krause and what your feelings are with things that have gone on and what you think employers can do to better protect their employees from this type of discrimination going forward. So, um, you know, with that, Stephanie, tell me a little bit about what the, from the legal perspective, at least what the employer's duties are when they're dealing with these types of allegations of discrimination. Yeah, it's well, and I think everyone, you know, would very much say very, if you see something, say something, tell HR, tell your boss, but it becomes very different. Um, And, you know, even at Paramount, we would have attorneys come in outside attorneys and do these very in-depth presentations. Maybe you guys have sat through these as well. I would just like sample, is this uh, discrimination? And it is... The fact that we have those almost on an annual basis, I think, kind of shows that it is a bit more complex and and definitely more prevalent than we thought, you know, maybe 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. Um, So I think that in a little bit, the kind of lid has been blown off on a lot of it. And we're seeing the the ripple effects through. um, I know you guys cover sports a lot. And it's heavy in that world. Obviously, entertainment, there's been a lot of kind of ousters of just people with, um, you know, inappropriate and often highly offensive or discriminatory behavior. And I think a lot of times it's not very, very few times is it an isolated incident. So I think um, obviously continuing to document and speak out against it is helpful, but then it's, it can be, I, I think a situation where it doesn't seem that that even that is effective when depending on how powerful of an individual, whether it's an executive, um, you know, I this is a kind of a sports example, but uh, I knew people obviously have a lot of Michigan State people in uh, my life becoming from Michigan. And when the Larry Nasser uh, scandal happened, I think it was really interesting to see the responses from uh, all sorts of people who ranged from, you know, this, this couldn't possibly be true because there's so many, you know, this is just preposterous that this could have happened at this widespread level and no one was able to kind of shut it down. Um, but I think that, you know, it's, it's wild how that is able to happen. And, um, yeah, I don't know if you guys, have any thoughts on that, but it was interesting to hear people say, but then there's also on the other side of, you know, when one person speaks out and maybe is afraid or is in a much lower position, historically, there were a lot of reasons to kind of keep quiet, or maybe if they did speak out and were told to keep quiet or told to kind of not raise the issue, it does, you know, it has a strong effect. And and that person, not only uh, in that current position, that current company, whatever role they're in, but I think a lot of, you know, women, especially 
probably took that with them if you, you know, the next company. And that's kind of what you saw. Um, so it is nice to see, um, nice in some ways, um, horrifying in other ways to see, you know, just the constant onslaught of this happening and different kind of top level, high level executives being ousted at all sorts of corporations. And that was going to be what I was going to kind of bring up is you kind of see it also, you know, working in corporate America, everybody's been and done a million trainings in the last year. It's been thrown in your face. Um, and I I always wondered, you know, if you look at it from a huge perspective, do companies care or do companies want to make sure that they can't be sued? So if they cared, it's a culture thing. And that's that's what you're trying to change, which can be very, very difficult when you have people that have been in positions of power for so long. It's not an easy thing to do. Do you think we've gotten better? Are we just talking about it more, but it, it not from your perspective? And I get you can only talk probably in your, you know, bubble per se compared to others. But how do you feel we've progressed? I guess is what I'm trying to say. I would like to think that we've gotten better. Um, and it's not sometimes it, it's a bit overwhelming to see kind of really how prevalent it, it really is. And it's it's not just an isolated um, issue within any one industry or any one sort of um, level of experience. Um, I think that, you know, there's especially, you know, I come from the entertainment world. So there's the misconception where it's always just a low level, maybe assistant or someone trying to break in at the bottom level of whatever industry. And then this, the most powerful, most successful kind of man in the room. But I, I don't think it's always that extreme of a dynamic. So a lot of times it's, you know, a bit more subtle, a bit more, you know, there is an imbalance of power, but it's not these extremes. And I do think it's getting better. Um, but I don't know if it's because men are afraid that it will get out. And um, but maybe that it will have, you know, the, the positive effect for the wrong reasons. And over time, that will continue to get better. Um, that that's kind of my fear, because it is very much under the um, microscope of these days. And, you know, I think some people uh, maybe even write it off as, as part of cancel culture. Or part of that is like the climate right now. And these, these companies trying to really any sort of negative uh, publicity, they are very quick to kind of move away from it and, and um, extricate, extradite themselves from that person. Um, and I hope that is, you know, I hope it continues when maybe the social media and the me, you know media in general is just not as laser focused on the issue. Um, and hopefully there, you know, that there'll be less instances of this and it won't be because, okay, we're just not talking it, about it anymore, but it's actually becoming less, less um, pervasive. Yeah. And I did some, I did some research here. I'm not a big fact checker, but I decided to do some fact checking considering the topic that we're discussing today. So from the fiscal year of 2018 to 2021 reported to the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, there were 98,411 charges of alleging harassment of any sort. Of that 98,000, 27,291 were sexual harassment charges. Um, 
Now, from 2018 to 2021, there has been a significant decrease. There's been about a drop of about 2,000 charges filed for sexual harassment um, from year over year. But it's very alarming numbers. And of those reported sexual harassment charges, 78% were women that filed these charges. So we know who it's happening to predominantly. Obviously, we know you can Google it, but um, the evidence is there and it shows that it's still a major problem in the U.S. And we're seeing this information come up day after day. And just thinking through things, Stephanie, what what are some of your thoughts of where we can kind of combat this? What are some things that can be done? Well, I think just having, which is a very, you know, basic answer, but having more women in the room really does help. And, um, you know, the, the firm that I'm at now is, is very much a change from in terms of the gender makeup of the executives and the higher employees. Um, but I think they want to change that. And I think they're very, you know, they, they see that and they, they want to make those changes. But they're also, um, they, you know, when it's not some sort of massive corporation where you have these trained individuals coming in and saying, okay, these are some things that we can do. I think people are a little more cautious about how to, you know, not tokenize and just, okay, we're, we're only hiring women or like the, this next hire has to be a women or, um, a diversity hire. You, you know, I think seeing that as well, companies are trying to really figure out how to navigate that. But I really think um, the transparency in pay that, you know, certain states are, California being one of them, are really, I, I think that's great because that takes everything out of it. Um, you know, I know it's not always um, as readily available, but I think that can help a lot because a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, inequity at the the financial level and there can be a lot of maybe we're hiring as many women as men but we're not necessarily paying them as much uh, across the board and that's another huge issue and again if there's transparency with the salaries it kind of gets to the bottom and that is at least one huge piece of the problem that can kind of be taken out right away um not always so easy to do with some of the you know deep-seated discrimination or the other issues that kind of we've talked about. But I think for equity and from an equity standpoint, that's the transparency can really be helpful because it's, it's not always like that. And even if, you know, you know, from HR, those are very often kind of isolated conversations. And um, I think it's been a harder for women you know, this is a, this is possibly a bit of a generalization, but I do think it has been harder for women to kind of access that information, whether it's from, you know, their boss or the HR team, anybody at the the company. So I'm hoping that that helps with that piece of it, at least. From a simple term, kind of going along with what you just said, it it all. It feels like everybody's trying to check a box, right? If you take corporate America everywhere, okay, we're going to take a look at our diversity. We're going to hire more women. But do you feel like it's still battling the boys club mentality where, um, like, let's just take us four as an example. You just started with the company. It's us four. Adams get promoted. 
but it's going to be me or Byron that goes towards it because of, you know, we're boys and all these different things. Do you think that's still the, the, the deep rooted issue is the, is the boys club mentality? I think to some extent, but I, I think that is a bit more dependent on certain industries and, um, maybe even roles within those. Um, I would say it's, I think the legal field from my experience is definitely very much of a boys club. And there's, you know, a lot of factors that contribute to that as well too, that I can kind of personally speak to just, I know a lot of women who kind of were at bigger law firms and wanted to have a family. And then you have to kind of figure out, okay, well, how can I balance that? And I mean, that, that is not just, you know, legal fields as well, but that can be difficult. And I think, um, there's a lot of this in the past, if you get off the train, it's very difficult to get back on. And a lot of women do want to, you know, and I think women are phenomenal multitaskers. And I am also, I think a lot more companies are, um, being a lot better about that. And it's, you know, not a negative if you want to have kids and want to have a family. Um, it's not like, Oh, there's no way you could possibly balance all of that and be a great employee. Um, I, so I hope, I think at least, you know, from some of the conversations I've had with women attorneys who, um, are partners, they talk about that, but they do feel that there have been some improvements, but it's also, you know, still kind of case by case company by company basis. Um, and then I, I would also say there are certain situations that there are just different considerations that women have to consider. Um, that there's some like think about the environment where these big deals get closed in sometimes. So, um, you know, I'm thinking like a strip club, extreme example, but you know, the golf, the golf course and, um, you know, or maybe like we grab drinks after dinner and there are just, there were, I think a lot of opportunities for, you know, blurred lines or, um, things that can happen that, you know, Women may, if you have a negative experience that does, you know, God forbid, live to uh, lead up to harassment or even just an uncomfortable situation with just you and a male potential employee or employer or current employer, you're again trying to avoid those situations. So you may be missing out on some of those opportunities. Um, that I think with men, you don't really have to consider that. That's just not a factor that, you know, it's like if the, the, you know, head partner invites you to go grab drinks after the dinner, you're like, yeah, like, let's, let's do it. Let's continue this conversation. And, um, hopefully there's not any sort of ulterior motive. Um, that's been, that's been something that I've encountered just personally and also anecdotal, anecdotally, but I think, um, but we said, we've said, you know, given the, all the stories and the way the reporting on this and, you know, there is, I think a sense of this is not something you can get away with. And it's not something that's going to be, um, pushed under the rug or that you can, you know, assume or hope that, oh, no one will say anything or my insubordinate, it's fine. Um, I do think there is more of that hopefully. And, you know, younger and newer, uh, executives. So that makes me hopeful. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah it's a long-winded long-winded two totally different points but wanted to mention them both yeah. no i think you made a great point there in terms of just having being in those circumstances and those situations it leads to some of the blurred lines that you mentioned and that if you're somebody who doesn't look exactly like your employers or the group the main group of uh, execs or whatever the case may be, then you're just out of place sometimes, whether that's based on your gender or your uh, your race and ethnicity or whatever the case may be. And that can just lead to difficulty. And I, I wanted to turn the question to Byron and Steve, just in terms of that boys club question, being men and being, you know, in that corporate space, are you seeing changes or seeing differences in terms of how these issues are playing themselves out? So I think I I work in the automotive industry and I think in particular, um, I I don't see the boys club as much. I saw it with my previous employer compared to, to this one. Um, Once again, when, when there's a lot of equity, when you have diversity, when you have these things, you don't have the problems. If Byron ran through those sexual harassment cases and we went company by company, industry Mm -hmm. by industry, we're going to see a pattern of it happening at certain places where they have a huge culture problem. You're not going to see that happening when women are the CEO and there's a, a, a multitude of VPs that are also women or diverse. You're just not going to see that as much as you're going to see it with the other ones. So I think the boys club, listen, there's always going to be clicks. There's going to be clicks and and everything. And that's just human nature. But I think it's the idea that uh, coming to understand the world we live in, the country we live in, the area we live in, we're all so different. And you're just, there's no more secrets in the world. And those things aren't going to get swept under the rug. They're, the truth will come out at some point. You used to be able to hide it. You can't hide it anymore. We live in a social media world. You're not going to get away with it. You could prolong it, but you're not going to get away with it. It'll come back. That's my answer. Byron? Yeah, I I agree, Steve. Um I will say just to circle back on some more data for you guys, a little data point here, 72% of victims estimated 72% uh, were harassed by someone more senior than them in the workplace. So we know that it's a problem of, uh, you know, maybe it's someone where you talk about those blurred lines or someone thinking, you know, they're allies with someone and they're just crossing that line or someone trying to go, uh, what is it? A, a lawyer term, a Latin term, quit, quit pro quo. Quit pro correct? quo. Yes. You you nailed it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's a major problem, but to your point, Steve, people are coming forward. People are reporting these situations when they occur, you know, um, I would say based on what I've looked up, 98% of workplaces have a sexual harassment policy. So people are definitely speaking up now. They're going to their HR representatives and they don't really care about the fallout of it. A lot of people in the past historically have been worried about retaliation or them reporting it and nothing happening. So um, I'm glad that we're seeing progress here, but we still got a long ways to go. I would like to mention the one thing that 
has been a big factor, at least in state of California. Maybe Stephanie, you could speak to this, but they made some changes recently to the law in terms of settlement agreements and what could be kept confidential when employers were settling with employees based on sexual discrimination, lawsuits and things like that to prevent hush money and other things that would keep things under wraps. And now it gives a little bit more visibility on situations. And I think it's just another scare factor, red flag for people when they're, you know, trying to make that decision, if that's a good idea to be a creep, you know, and and do things that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, I agree. I am not as familiar with the, the actual, you know, wording of the law, but I do support that, um, you know, in general. And I, I know that it's hard for, you know, being a lawyer, sometimes it's kind of like, well, this was the agreement. These were the terms and um, the thought of, okay, you signed this agreement and that was the deal. And now you're speaking out. But I, I like that people are more and more realizing that, you know what, that this is perhaps not something that it is appropriate to have, uh, you know, a non-disclosure agreement. And I understand, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll continue on and things will be kept quiet. Um, but I think that that is another thing that, yeah, it will come out. Like Steve said, you know, maybe it's not going to be immediate. Um, and maybe, you know, I th- I'm not saying if you do sign an NDA in some sort of, uh, position like that, that it won't have any sort of, you know, weight or people don't take them seriously anymore. But I think that it's a huge thing that, and the fact that, you know, lawmakers are also acknowledging that, that it's not just because there are certain people who obviously can afford to, uh, you know, um, what's the word that I'm thinking of violate or kind of breach the terms of a contract or a non-disclosure whatever it may be, but there's a lot of people that can't. And especially, you know, if, depending on the the litigation and the terms of this, this legal document that you signed, it is very much, um, you know, a form of hush money. You could say that. And it's very frightening to think about the consequences of coming forward um, that people may not have had the full uh, opportunity to consider at the time when, you know, most likely they're, attorney kind of advised them that this is was the best option. And it was very much if then, you know, you don't sign this or agree to keep quiet, then you're not going to get your compensation. And, um, you know, it can be very difficult to navigate that situation and, uh, you know, fully see the impact of it when you're in it. So I'm, I'm happy that, yeah, there's, you know, legislative, legislative moves that are, um, reflecting that kind of change as well. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we mentioned even when we, before we started talking uh, and got on the, the show is just how the dynamics have changed. You know, I think the Me Too movement has had a huge impact. And I, Stephanie, I want to get your thoughts in terms of whether you think it's a movement or you think that this whole ideology has actually changed permanently or, or what, you know, this can be as a long lasting thing, but also you mentioned the term, the glass cliff. And I wanted to get a little bit more into that because it seems like that's kind of the next step in terms of discrimination and, and in terms of things to watch out for as women and other minorities are making their ascension up that corporate ladder. 
Yeah, I I do think um, it's fair to classify Me Too as a movement. I I think when it first kind of broke, it was another thing that, you know, people kind of paid attention and really took a step back and realized, you know, how pervasive and, you know, sexual, realizing too that, you know, assault or harassment isn't just this kind of brutal rape or whatever we might have had ideas about it, um, especially how it plays out day to day. And, you know, these corporate environments, you know, very often, maybe it isn't this, you know, flat out, okay, we're all in agreement. That's, that's what I think is sexual harassment. There's a lot of different levels to it. When it gets difficult is when there are issues of, um, uh, you know, consent and maybe that someone, especially if there's alcohol involved and there's, you know, that you have to get into a very fact specific kind of analysis to assess, well, was this harassment and could it have been misconstrued? That is when, you know, it's, it's hard. And I, I don't think, you know, I think it's difficult when a movement becomes so big, I guess, like that. And it becomes kind of all encompassing. Um, I still, you know, am very obviously in support of that. And I do think it helped a lot of women come forward. Um, whether it was, you know, huge influencers, famous celebrities, or just kind of people that I know in my, in my own life, just being a bit more open and kind of saying, Oh yeah, I went through that too with a former boss or coworker. Um, and just being able to be a bit more open and talk about it and not feel that, well, did I, I think a lot of it too is, um, you know, that did I do something to put myself in this situation? Um, and I don't know. And if there's any sort of shred of doubt or you think the person you share it with will kind of respond in that way. I think a lot of people, especially, you know, we're not always as comfortable with our employees and colleagues as, as we are with people or friends. Um, so it's much harder to kind of share that in those environments. So yes, I'm, I'm thankful for me too. Um, and like we said, I, I do think it's for better or worse, making it difficult for people to get away with things. And I would hope that, you know, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say it's going to eradicate all of this behavior that that I think is is impossible. But I, I think it, we can definitely um, de- show see a decline in the behavior for, you know, thanks to Me Too and other similar movements. And then uh, for your the glass cliff. Yes, I No, we were speaking about this briefly, but I think that kind of goes to, you know, how do we change, you know, and fix some of the problems by, you know, getting women in the room. And I think the, a big part of that is when, when are you bringing in women or, or, um, you know, somebody different? Is it when, as in the glass cliff, when the company is struggling and it's in this place of kind of, um, you know, they're, they're not doing well. They generally, very often, it seems to be a company that was really doing well, was on the rise, and then they sort of hit a uh, peak or there's some sort of, it could be scandal, it could be whatever it is, financial hard times, and they kind of reassess and the solution will be to bring in a, a woman CEO or kind of top executive to steer the ship and right the wrongs. Um, and sometimes, like we said, sometimes that happens and it's great. Very often, you know, they'll get a lot of press like, they, oh, they've hired this new person. It's great. The company's never had a woman in this role before. We're all very excited. and then. 
you know, I, I think they're, the women are very, very closely scrutinized and they oftentimes can be blamed for things that happened before if they're not able to fix them or, um, you know, right the wrongs when they may not have had anything to do with that. And, you know, sometimes they may not have known the full depth of the kind of systemic inequality or just issues that were really plaguing the company until they were in that role. And I don't think, you know, people, people make mistakes. There are so many reasons that a a hire might not work, work out in a certain role or certain company, but the, you know, gender is still kind of, I think, top of, top of mind for, well, you know, women just don't make good CEOs or they, you know, she wasn't a strong leader. Um, and that is, is kind of a good way of sometimes these companies can be like, okay, well, we tried that, you know, check the box, we did something different and look how that turned out. So I think in these in very, very high level positions, it is still a struggle uh, and a challenge to kind of get women in, in those roles and not in this just sort of like, okay, everything else, we tried everything else, everything's falling apart. Let's hire a lady and see how it goes. I think, um, you know, bringing women in and promoting them at, you know, times before when the company is doing really well and trusting that women can kind of continue the growth or, you know, even continue to help the company succeed before it kind of gets to that point. Hopefully we are headed in that direction. All right, Steph, let me put you on the spot. Uh -oh. I'm a father, I have two daughters. Okay. If you were speaking to tens of thousands of young girls that are going to go into the workplace the next five, 10 years, whatever it would be. What is something you would want to drive home to them right now that you wish somebody would have told you as they were advancing through their education before they did? I would say know your worth. I was thinking about this a lot recently because I had a friend who you know was interviewing for a job. She really wanted it and she got this offer and we, you know, some of our other friends had to kind of convince her to negotiate for herself. And that's something that I have really, uh, you know, had to kind of learn from from scratch. And people, I, I don't know, I don't think it's true for all women. Um, I would not generalize in that way. But I definitely think that is something that women need to be taught from early on. You know, you can you can ask for more, you can negotiate. And, you know, the worst that someone can say is no. And it doesn't mean that you're not grateful. Um, you don't have to apologize for yourself when you are asking for more. Um, you know, I think that is just women are always kind of like, I'm sorry, but you kind of think you have to come from that because you're if it's an employment, you know, negotiating an employment offer, you don't want the offer to go away or you're kind of so um, excited to get the role. And another thing I know, you know, we didn't really talk about this as much, but there are a lot of studies that have showed, you know, women will feel and Byron, I wish you were here for the stats. I'm not so good with the numbers, but they'll say, you know, women feel 70% confident and 30% unconfident. So they are hesitant about taking the job, you know, it doesn't mean they won't take it, but they, maybe that's the reason they don't ask for more money because they're, you know, oh, this is a new role and I know I can do it, but I, I still have some things to learn, or this is a new kind of division for me. There's a lot of factors and men, I, I don't think that analysis is there, or maybe it is, but it's never a factor 
you know, from what I, it's like men have the converse, like they, they feel 30% prepared for the role, 70%. I've never done this before in my life, but they're still going to go out and advocate and get the kind of, um, you know, salary and just making sure that they ask for what they want. And they're not just, you know, whether it's just an initial employment offer or every day kind of in your, your daily job, there's, there's always opportunities to kind of renegotiate for yourself that, um, I, I was not taught. And I hope that more younger women from a younger age, because it's harder and it is harder when you're kind of learning it, when you feel, okay, now I get this. And now of course I do this, but it it feels late in the game. So if girls that are younger can kind of just feel comfortable and confident and know that that's, um, expected, and um, should be celebrated, I think that would go a long way. And again, helping to eradicate some of the inequality that we've just been talking about. I negotiate everything, including bedtime, pieces of candy, everything. So I guess they're going straight to the top. That's, so thank you. Yeah, thank that's you. what I like thank to you. hear. That's, that's, that's all I heard from all of that is that. Uh... <laughs> I'm impressed. You've got some future lawyers on your hands, I think. Mm, we'll Definitely see. valuable information there, Stephanie. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. I know we're getting close to wrapping up. Um, any final thoughts from you, Stephanie? Oh, this was great. I know I was kind of all over the place, but I so appreciate you having me on and talking about this. I'm a huge fan of your guys' podcast and just the work that you're doing. And um, yeah, I'm appreciative to be here and support you. We'll definitely have you back. Thank Good. you. Yeah, no doubt. And thanks again. Steve, go ahead. I was just going to say, I uh, big congratulations to Byron becoming the fact checker of the podcast uh, today. We needed somebody I'm to do it. So and impressed. He, he's grabbed the bull by the horns. Now I have to watch what I say because he's going to call me out on it uh, and be like, Steve, I don't think those numbers are correct. But. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's a great addition to the podcast. Somebody to keep Steve wrangled in on a regular basis. So that that's a huge accomplishment on this episode so i'm happy for that but yeah stephanie thank you again for joining us it is definitely great to get you on the show and you have a an array of knowledge so pop it all over the places appreciate it we love the popcorn style and just touching all these different topics because there's so many different areas here and i'm excited for us to continue to work together and get you on the show again in the future but for this episode we're going to sign off For Steve Kerwin and Byron Hazlitt, this is Adam Stone for the Committed Collective Podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Well, that's the show. Thanks again for joining us. And if you did not get the social media from earlier, Steve, can you tell them one more time where they can find us? Absolutely, Adam. Go to the website, thecommittedcollective.org. Don't forget to sign up for our monthly newsletter. You could find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Committed Collective. And my personal favorite on Facebook, The Committed Collective Forum, where we have open dialogue topics about conversations that we need to have that we might not necessarily want to. As always, remember to challenge inequalities and champion change now.